0: 9.5 FM in Bridgeport, Connecticut, my home state.
1: Stay tuned for the Organic Farm Stand coming right up. Mm-mm-mm. Well, our music is not working today. What does that mean?
2: La, 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 la.
1: What does that mean? Well, we we are the organic farm stand, in spite of the fact that we don't have music. You want to make music? La
2: uh, la 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 la. You could do the percussion.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you singing?
2: <laughs> I'm not singing anything.
1: <laughs> oh okay. La 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 la. la, la, la. Okay, it's will it's a winter tra la la, right?
2: Yeah, it's it's very cold out.
1: It is cold. It's it's suddenly cold, it's and suddenly I have a winter. cold, you know, it's, which is.
2: It's officially
1: and, you know, functionally winter. And oh, that's oh my god!
2: You forgot already?
1: No, I was just like, it, it suddenly <laughs> occurred to me, we're talking, we are going to focus on the winter solstice we're today. We're going
2: to do a, a, but, a segment on it. Yeah. But
1: it didn't occur to me that we're now, In you know, that means this is winter. You know, so. Well,
2: tonight at, tonight it's going to be winter. The solstice officially starts tonight.
1: Indeed. What time?
2: 10.27 p.m. Eastern Time.
1: Look at that. She's got the data. Well, I knew you'd ask
2: me.
1: Got the data. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Laura Modlin over there on Hi, the other Richard. side. of the... I'm Richard. Richard Hill. And Steve Munno from Masara Farm is out there, probably even colder than it is in Bridgeport. How you doing, Steve? We got a problem with Steve? Oh, wait. Steve, are you there?
0: I'm here. Glad oh. to be with you.
1: Okay. Hi, Steve. I'm, I'm a little befuddled I because I have a head cold, so um, I brought my mask with me today, which is... Um, so
2: nobody can hear him.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm a little muffled. No. I'm, uh, I'm a little befuddled. I am. Well, Steve, it's great to hear from you. Uh, we're going to talk about the conditions on the farm very shortly, but before we do that...
2: I have my solar lunar. Should we
1: launch it right into that?
2: Sure, I'm gonna start with the moon because there's oh. because we have because the the solstice will take longer, so I'll say that for a second.
1: Okay, okay. one thing I just occurred to me we maybe we should tell the our listeners what we're gonna be doing for oh. the show. Oh
2: okay, you know what well, I'm mean? we're going to I'm gonna talk about the moon and then we're gonna talk about the solstice and then we I'm very ex- and we're gonna have Steve's small farm report. And I'm very excited because we have um, two guests today who are going to talk about an ordinance that was re- like a few, just a few weeks ago, passed in Norwalk, which was, um, which which is um, about restrictions on gas-powered leaf blowers that will come in increments, and they're going to tell us how they did it.
1: Yes, and I just realized, by the way, that um, I failed to to, to put your uh, your fader up so that. It, much of what you said might have been Uh-oh. <laughs> only vaguely. Uh-huh. No, I put it up. For, I put it up for that last thing. So.
2: Oh, okay. So, well, that's okay.
1: No, anyway, Laura. Mo- Laura <laughs> Model is going to do her solar lunar report in just a moment. Do you need to go
2: home and take a nap <laughs> before the rest of the show?
1: I need to take some some kind of homeopathic uh, cure for my.
2: Okay, I can my help condition. you.
1: Okay, I know you do. You have your pharmac. Pharma- what do they call it, pharmacopia? With you today? Right, right. You, you always do.
2: So, oh, what's that? Um, this is a homeopathic cold remedy. You're kidding me. That I, don't I believe it. That works well for me. Look at that. Yeah. So you just take one, and dissolve it in your mouth.
1: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll hold but off. But I'm on not that.
2: going. I'm not going to to give you medical advice.
1: I don't want to slurp and slobber. Hold <laughs> <on>. <laughs>
2: okay. So. Um, we are coming up on the last full moon of 2023. Um, the full cold moon will rise on December 26th at 7.33 p.m. Eastern time. And so you'll probably be able to see it on Christmas and Christmas Eve. It's pretty full, It'll be pretty full on Christmas and Christmas Eve. Um, and this will be the first full moon after the winter solstice, but you know, it's not a super moon. Um, (laughs) we don't get another super moon until September of 2024. Then we have, we only have two next year, um, September and October. So.
1: Whoa. Is that a bad omen?
2: No, but it's just like, eh, you know, (laughs) we had four this year.
1: I know. We got, Um, we got spoiled.
2: We did. And we also, um, Want to mention that the Ursids meteor shower will peak um, Saturday, early AM, and because of the fact that the 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 sunrise is so late at this time of year, there's more darkness period to, in order to be able to see it. So if mm. you're up late or early morning before the sun comes out and you don't have a lot of light pollution, you should be able to see it.
1: Mm. Well, I want to mention, if I may, that. Uh, you have to be very patient with these meteor showers which really? is tu- which is tough in the Oh, well, it's tough in the summer too because you got to deal with mosquitoes but in the winter time you know I was out, I went out the one night when you said you sent, yeah. you sent me a text and you said get out there there's great meteor showers it was beautiful crystalline right you know, on the
2: beach there you have a good spot
1: yeah I was i I wasn't about to go down to the beach but I I did go out you know in my backyard I guess it was and I stood out there for like 10 minutes I didn't see any meters oh. so you really have to be patient I think. do you
2: know what the craziest thing is when I was living in New York I once I had the best view of a meteor shower um, on a rooftop party in New York um, really? once yeah, I was so surprised that I could see so many of them in New York City
1: was that a drug induced thing?
2: no <laughs> yeah, just some wine <laughs> oh okay um, so, um, just a sneak peek, January, 2024, um, the, the full wolf moon is on the 23rd and it's also not a super moon. And in 20, just to give briefly in 2024, we have two full moons, as I said, that will be super moons, September and October. And we will also have a, what's called a seasonal blue moon, which occurs when on um, August 19th and that occurs when that's the third of four full moons in the same season because that's unusual for there to be four in the same seasons so the first one is June 21st July 21st August 19th and September 19th and because um, because that's between the summer solstice and the f- autumn equinox mm. Um, so it's actually, um, the traditional meaning of a blue moon, the, 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 monthly, when we have two in the same month that came upon by accident, like a misunderstanding. And now it's thought of as, you know, the, the meaning. And we also have a black moon on December 30th. And, um, that means it's the second new, there are a few def- definitions, but this one is the second new moon in a single calendar month. So, so that that would make sense if That's it's the, the next,
1: end next December.
2: Next December, oh, okay. And um, they're they're pretty they're kind of rare. And then also just want to mention that the North American total solar eclipse is now in hundred and nine days on April eighth, twenty twenty
1: four. Okay. And, that, and and where do we have to go to see that?
2: Um. Well, you know, I think it,
1: Bangalore maybe.
2: No, it's going be north <laughs> North America for oh, okay. I mean for full, uh, full solar eclipse and Fabulous. it's going to be just north of us actually. Not too far and we will see a partial solar eclipse here. But it's going to be full solar eclipse, like in Vermont and upstate New York and all the way up, you know, to Maine. So that will be nice. So, um I just can't even contain myself any longer because
1: (laughs) Because.
2: (laughs) we finally made it. It's the shortest day of the year with nine hours and 12 minutes of daylight, which is seven minutes less than we had on the last show. And in the next show... We will gain six minutes.
1: Really? That much? Yeah. Oh, that? Wow. Okay. And so
2: we're going to start getting about a minute or so, in, you know, what? In, you, in the next few days.
1: So, yeah, when do we gain? I mean, do we actually gain anything tomorrow? Or
2: we, uh-huh, it, Like a minute.
1: We gain it? Really? A I think
2: it's a, like a minute. It's hmm. like a minute for the next three days, the same minute for the next few days. But today is the shortest day. And um, so this means it's... It, it's it means winter has arrived in the northern hemisphere and summer arrives today in the southern hemisphere and there's there's a whole um, meaning about the tilt of the the earth and the sun which I don't know if you want to talk about that but um, it's it's the moment when the sun reaches the tropic of Capricorn and. Um, and it marks, the, you know, the official letter of winter. And the term solstice comes from the Latin words sol for sun and sister, sister for standing still. Because during the solstice, the angle between the sun's rays and the plane of the Earth's equator, called the declination, appears to stand still. And um, so, do you, um, di- didn't you find something interesting yeah. about the sun. Um, how Do you want me to recap?
1: It's, it's unusual. Uh, I, I'll, yeah, <laughs> but do you I, want
2: to talk about it? Go ahead, please. I, I
1: have, yeah, I have it in my brain. But actually, I, I, want, I want to ask Steve if he's aware of this, and because and I, I know it's, it was so surprising to me. Maybe, maybe Steve knew about it and, and it would be less would be a little blasé about it by now. But for <laughs> me, it was surprising. And that is, you know, because I knew nothing about astronomy, until I did some research over the past week, and that is that the there are two two factors that are that are critical here. One in in determining you know the where we stand right now with this winter solstice. One is the fact that our orbit around the sun is not a true circle. You know, it's not like we don't just like have get our protractors out and make this perfect circle and we march around the sun. It's actually an elliptical. It's a, and so that means it's kind of like egg-shaped and oddly enough surprisingly enough the time when the earth is closest to the sun is will be in early January it's 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 almost at that point now as we travel around that ellipse now one might say well, how could that possibly be how, how could it be that? In, the, in in our most extreme proximity to the sun, we're having our coldest, coldest season. Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is because... Um, actually, I'm going to ask Steve. Steve, do you know the answer to that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I might. I have to reach back a little bit. So long ago before my farming days, I actually taught a little bit of astronomy. Oh,
1: okay. Um, got so, the...
0: I, so I'm aware of the elliptic. Uh, and actually, one of the nice things, if you look at the night sky... You, look, you can look at the line of planets, and that's along the elliptic um, and, and all of their orbits around um, the sun. So you can kind of make a line between those um, planets that you see in the sky. But, of course, in January, it is somewhere, summer sun somewhere, not here in the northern hemisphere. Um, but our, our um, temperature is not... Um, fully connected to the distance from the sun there. Uh, we obviously have the variable throughout the season, so um, but of course, in the southern hemisphere, it's summer there in January.
1: Right, and so I guess the, the other factor that is critical here is the fact that the axis of the Earth is not a I don't know, what would you say? Straight up and down. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's tilt- like tilted. It's like an angle. Yeah. Tilted, Yeah. And the actual percentage of that tilt is 23.5%. That's the angle of the tilt. So when we are at the winter solstice, the Earth is tilted away from the sun in the northern hemisphere, that is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And the southern hemisphere... Is tilted and why is that possible? The southern hemisphere is tilted toward the sun because it is. I
2: think so. I saw a diagram and that's what it looked like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know we're bumbling through this thing, but I'm I'm I was so. Don't try this at home. (laughs) (laughs) Problem is, I didn't I didn't pay attention when I was learning this in school. But this so, but Steve did. You see, and he remembers it, which is amazing. But anyway, so those are those are the two fascinating things about the solstice to me. And okay, so just um, to to sort of wrap it up and, and and round it out, so to speak, that in July the Earth is at its farthest point from the sun, as the ellipse kind of bulges out there. Uh, you know, it was at that point in in the in the in the calendar year, so in, at our heart at our warmest. Time when our twenty three point five percent
3: tilt yeah, is,
1: is toward the sun, as opposed to away from it. At that point, we have our warmest season. So um, one one day we'll get a, 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 a an astronomer. Is that the right word? An astronomer. Oh on well, here. we
2: have a meteorologist coming in we January, do. so maybe he'll be able to tell us.
1: Um, I yeah that well, we can we can we can test his uh, his acumen on this topic. But yeah, to to really explain, you know, how in spite of the fact of this, you know, lack of proximity in July, it's so far away from the sun, and its proximity in the winter, that still we have these extreme seasons, these extreme temp- temperature changes.
2: Okay. And
1: uh, so there, I'm done.
2: Okay. Well, before I'm, I'm going to
1: take a break. I'm going to okay. look. So go, I'm go, go
2: take your nap. And- <laughs> okay get some <laughs> soup and um i'm just going to take a couple minutes before we go to Steve's report um to to walk us through um what i found online as a ritual for the winter solstice a spiritual ritual it's not um it's it's not any religion um but
1: you, want me just <clears throat> should i start the fire? Not yet. No? Not okay.
2: yet. OK, but spiritually, it's a time. I, I love this, too. It's a time to honor both the light and the darkness that resides in each of us. Um, and so, yeah, so we're going to the three of us, if 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 my cohorts here are so inclined, um, take scraps of paper where we've written down things we would like to let go of. And then we'll throw them into a fire. And this represents transforming darkness to light so whatever we feel um to, we want to let go of we, you know when you throw them into the fire um they're becoming light so are we ready are you ready steve yeah okay are you ready richard
1: um yeah i think we it's time for me to <clears throat> to uh get out my uh matches and light this fire
2: yeah the, the wood's all piled up over there
1: it is and, and the yeah. fire's ready to go so let's see if i can get it going Oh, my God. Listen to that.
2: Wow. Oh.
1: Yeah. Fire's going. Okay.
2: Okay. Oh, I can see the reflection of the fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got to be careful. Uh, I know that. Well, Steve, is is this his last day?
2: Well, he's not going to be. Steve won't be here um, for the first January show, but he'll be back for the second.
1: But he, but no, because I know Steve is retiring, so our, our oh, GM. Oh, our Steve, not yeah. not Mono. Yeah. Right. 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 I don't know. Yeah. So I know that um, you know he he would freak out if he knew we had a fire, fire, <laughs> well, fire.
2: I don't, know, I don't think we're, he's here. So. We're
1: not even allowed to have water in here. And we got,
2: <laughs> okay. Let's go. So how go. are we going to
1: put out the fire if there's a problem? <laughs>
2: oh, I have I have a thermos of tea here. We'll use that.
1: All right. That's not you're not supposed to have that in here.
2: But, okay. So <laughs> well, ready? Yeah. Throw your darkness into the fire.
1: Okay, wait a minute. Wait. I want to. Crum- I got to crumple up my. Okay. Crumpling it up. Okay. Now we're gonna throw. We- I wrote down the darkness. The
2: darkness inside of you that you want to let go of.
1: Okay. All right. Go. Boom. Oh, Wow. It that went- felt
2: good, right?
1: Yep. It's in there.
2: And so, now we each, just briefly, set an intention for something we want to bring into our lives in the new season ahead. Richard?
1: Do we have to say what it is?
2: Um, I guess you don't. You can just think it. We can, you can, you can. it'd be better
1: if we said it. I think
2: so. Why don't you say it?
1: uh, Okay. Um, Serenity.
2: Oh, that's really close to mine. Yeah. Oh, dear. Mine's Peace. So it's similar.
1: Yep, very similar.
2: What about you, Steve? Kindness. Kindness. Mm-hmm.
1: Ha- have you been mean, Steve?
2: Oh my gosh!
0: You know, it's it's something I try to bring into all the things to to others and to myself. But it's pro- I've probably been mean at times uh, <laughs> to myself and others, and just, just trying to always bring kindness into the things that we do. So helpful oh. to set that intention uh, each season and each moment.
1: Time, should <laughs> I put it out the fire?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you turn it off? <laughs> I can't not turn, sounds-
1: <laughs> I mean, turn it off,
2: Steve. I love what you're saying. I know I've been trying to bring peace into my life, and um, I think that the more peaceful we make our lives, that the more peace we bring to the world too.
1: Mm, maybe, but I, you know, the thing about being kind to others you know is I think a function of being kind to oneself so I, I really I think like so. I really like Steve's yeah um, I think yeah. Steve you're the winner yeah. okay
2: so you should get the next segment then
1: now I'm really oh. jealous and angry
2: yeah <laughs> 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 Oh, now I'm just anxious to hear Steve's report
1: yeah and I'm gonna just Whoa. start it off by saying how cold is it out there today
0: well, it was, you know, it was frozen this morning. I was up before, before sunrise and, um, you know, there was some, some frost on the ground, but it's, it's going to get colder tonight. We're going to drop into the low 20s and maybe into the teens in places. So, um, can relish the, the 30, 38 degree temperature we have now because it's, it's going to drop a bit. Uh, but then it, it, it'll be short-lived. So we've got warm temperatures coming behind it and more rain so you know conditions on the farm right now are very wet we had i think four plus inches of rain on the storm from sunday to monday
2: that was incredible Uh,
0: yeah and so lots of problems in lots of places um because of that there was also really high winds which caused a lot of damage for a lot of farmers um and of course elsewhere outside of the world of agriculture Uh, happily you know we made it through without much damage haven't gone through all of our woods and trails to see, you know, what's down where, but our, our main farm infrastructure is okay. Did you um, have flooding
2: from the from your river?
0: Well, since we are on top of a hill, you know, we don't have, uh, our fields won't get flooded. They'll get bogged down. Now, in the woods, we do have the, the streams that run through there. Now, I've seen the outlets of them were, were very high, but I have not walked the trails yet to see, you know, how the, the water spread out. Uh, or if it if it um, sort of went over the the edges of the of the stream beds um, and out into the uh, trails and such, so I will get a chance to take a look sometime soon. But ha- happily, our main farm infrastructure is okay. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, it's December, and we would maybe hope for snow, or at least some of us might hope for snow at this time of year. And on, on a basic conversion, when we think about rain to snow, how it translates, often think about. Um, an in, in inch of rain, uh, you know, becoming a certain amount of snow. And, um, I think we could have ended up with, uh, you sort of do it times by 10. So that, that, um, one inch of rain might be 10 inches of snow. Now there, there's all sorts of variables in there, how much water content is going to be in snow, but we could have had 30 to 40 inches of snow in this storm. Instead, we got, you know, three to four inches of rain and some places got more than that. Um, it's been a while uh, since we've had such such big snow amounts. It, it's happened a few times in in my in now almost 15 years here. We've had 40 inch storms a, a few times, but it, it's not been for a while. Uh, and though I don't wish that kind of storm upon us, just noting that with with the climate change and and how things are shifting, you know, getting uh, all this rain instead of snow certainly at the moment is not that helpful for us because. Uh, we're already so saturated everywhere. The water level and the water table is so high everywhere. And if that had been snow, perhaps it might have you know melted slowly over a period of time instead of fully saturating us and sort of creating a winter mud season. We often have mud season in the, in the spring as things are sawing, but we've, got, we've, we've had a pretty severe mud season uh, this November, December. Would the um, ground so that- be
2: cold enough for the snow to stick?
0: um in some but you know we've had enough cold that i think it could be but you know if there was going to be that amount of snow it it would eventually i think would hold but you know if if if, if as it can be in connecticut you go you go from a cold moment to a warm moment it it, it would melt um i'm just sort of noting that the changes over time that these often uh these storms in december were often snow you know there was Times for our fall cfa where we were you know harvesting in november and december and shoveling snow to get to things and uh, that's not been an issue for the last handful of years and uh, we've had flurries here and there um this november december but um you know nothing that was staying on the ground and um there doesn't seem to be any coming anytime soon looks like we'll have more rain coming after christmas so mm. um you know, so right now, yeah, it's a muddy, it's a, a muddy, muddy moment on the farm and hoping for, hoping for some dry stretches and, and maybe, you know, we always like to have a little bit of cold, you know, some real deep cold to help maybe um, kill off some of the, some bugs and pests that um, might otherwise still be uh, thriving or might come up a little early. Uh, but a good hard frost can help, uh, help us embrace these this colder moment of the solstice and allow us to take a little time and rest and, um, you know, dig into our planning and our, um, get togethers with conferences and workshops and things, um, and, you know, sharing some of our stored, stored foods, um, for the winter. So, um, you know, and that's one of the things I always look forward to in the winter is all the ways that, um, we're able to get together, um, And share, and I should share. I I don't think I mentioned at the last uh, on our last show, but the the Connecticut NOFA Winter Conference is set, and um, it's going to be a little bit later this year. It'll actually be in in the first couple days of spring. It's going to be March 23rd at Eastern Connecticut State University in Willimantic. Um, and we've made it a little bit later this year so that actually students will be in session and actually the students will get to be involved in the conference as well as, um, you know, everyone else who who typically attend. But the last few conferences have been during a spring break and we haven't had as much student participation, but I think the university there with their Institute of Sustainability is really excited to partner. So we're going to have two days of virtual workshops on March 20th and 21st, and then in-person all day, on uh, saturday march 23rd uh, there at eastern connecticut state and um there is still time to you know get requests for proposals in for workshops uh, for vendors to uh, sign up we, we still have uh taking nominations for the bill ducing uh, organic living on the earth award um, we do have a keynote speaker Um, Maya Van Rossum will be the the keynote speaker for the conference. Um, Maya Van Rossum is the founder of the Green Amendments for Generations organization and has uh, led the movements for uh, Green Amendment in the state of Connecticut and elsewhere. So we've got uh, a really good program coming up there. So that's some of the things that I'm looking forward to in the winter, the conference and all the ways that we we gather uh, and share and learn together.
1: Fantastic. Uh, Yeah, that's um, great that you... uh... You, you uh, remembered, well, reminded us about the Winter Conference. And of course, you know, here it is, uh, the turning of the year, and that is the time when this, all this planning takes place. Um, tell us a little bit more about this, um, you know, the types of workshops. Is there anything different? Are there, any, are there any turns in the road coming given the changes that, you know, the planet is going through? And, of course, all those things, um, you know, accumulate and uh, become more, I think, you know, they talk about a tipping point. And I'm wondering, um, you know, if those things are are reverberating through uh, the NOFA conference at all.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of the... um a lot of the conferences and workshops will now have you know climate focused workshops and, and programs where farmers are sharing with each other their um, techniques and strategies that they're employing on their farms to you know um, adapt to climate change and, and ways that we you know mitigate damage and we use you know high tunnels are one of the things that we use to try to mitigate against the damage so you know we didn't have food undercover right now all this rain that we've had we, you know we, we might not have much to offer um so it's just a little things that we do get get shared and, and i think this the state department of agriculture has responded in terms of uh, having climate smart uh, grants available and and you know having funding available for um climate change planning so, and how to how to implement changes on your farm so I think a lot of the service agencies, a lot of the funders are are you know coming together to um address this and, you know it's it's a clear issue for our food system um and farmers need support um from each other and from all of the sort of um, service providers um to make the changes so that we have a reliable food system going into the future.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, well, we uh, will definitely be talking about the conference uh, again and again as the uh, as it approaches. So should we uh, turn turn the year and start heading toward that spring equinox.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> more.
2: Oh my gosh! More countdowns. More
1: drama. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we should we um, wrap up small farm and go to our guest or like maybe last word from Steve. Last
2: word. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I guess
2: he was uh, going to tell us about the chickens.
0: Oh, okay. Wonderful. The, yeah. Uh,
2: the end of life for your chickens.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that might be too much to get into given our timing, but I would say, I guess I should say a, a thank you to our chickens who've laid eggs. For us uh, throughout this year, um, you know, w- this morning, actually, I took some of our chickens um, on their final journey. Um, they uh, are not going to be laying eggs for us anymore, at least some of them. We we reduced the size of our flock for the winter. as We don't have, um, you know, the same sort of acreage of pasture for them. So um, we've reduced our flock uh, almost in half. And so that meant about 75 chickens uh, moved on. And so I, I brought them elsewhere. Um, and, um, it's, it's always, it's tough to do. Um, you know, you have a, a flock that you care for and, um, it's a special relationship when you're sort of managing livestock on your farm and you're protecting them and caring for them and they're taking care of you as well. And, um, you know, then, then we need to, uh, move on. We can't take as good care of, uh, of that many birds over the winter. So we reduce our size and, um, Yeah, so this morning I was up early bringing them off to another farm
1: to be processed. Mm, Okay, yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, You know, fresh eggs are, farm. you know, farm-raised chickens and fresh eggs organically produced are a a gift, a a wonderful thing. And I, I know that whenever there's a farm that offers them, I always get there too late to buy them because people line up and get to, to get them. So uh, we thank you for producing those, Steve. Thank you
2: for giving your chickens a good life.
1: Yeah, wonderful. <sighs> and okay, Steve, thank you so much for smaller farms report. Steve Mono out there at Masaro Farm in Woodbridge, and now Laura. Moving on.
2: We are going to discuss... Okay, so as I was saying, Norwalk recently passed an ordinance restricting gas-powered leaf blowers, and it's, it comes in increments, and um, uh, we have two guests. To talk about this, the first is Louise Washer. She's president of the Norwalk River Watershed Association and serves on the Nor- Norwalk Mayor's Water Quality Committee and the steering committee for the Hudson to Housatonic Regional Conservation Partnership. She also co founded and is on the executive board of the Pollinator Pathway. Um, so, welcome, Louise, and we are interested in hearing. Um, a little bit about the environmental reasons for this um, ordinance. Hey, Laura
4: and Richard. Um, thank you for having me. I am so happy to talk about this. Um, we, we feel really proud um, in Norwalk that we have taken action on this issue. Um, it's It affects the environment in several ways. It's a public health issue, it's a climate issue, and it's a biodiversity issue. Um, I came to it through my work really with the Pollinator Pathway and working towards clean water um, in the Norwalk River. So, I don't know. Can I start with pollinators?
1: Well, actually, maybe you should just give us a little anecdotal stuff about how, you know, this ordinance sort of popped out and uh, out of your community and 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 then was yeah. battled through the, uh, the the city government we probably should know a little bit about the process that happened about but how it started. but yeah but how how did how did this come to the to the fore and to the point where people started, wanted to take action about it
4: yeah well Lisa is going to be a great person to talk your other guest coming on um, to talk about the process through the city but what happened is over the pandemic um you know people were home working at home their kids were doing classroom work from home and the noise the noise was just so incessant and there people started calling the city um common council and saying you know can we do something about this like can we limit the time can we it's going all year long so that got the ordinance committee in norwalk to look at this issue. And I mean, lots of communities have taken action this way. I think t- over 200 communities, lots of our neighbors in New York, Tarrytown, Larchmont, Croton on Hudson, there's a long list. Um, Greenwich has been working on it. The state of California has passed um, legislation like this. So we're not alone, but not that many, um, not the main towns right in our area have done it. Westport um, has passed an ordinance.
1: Oh, wonderful. That's
4: great. Yeah, that's how it got started. Um, and, I, I mean, I had been talking to Laura before. My, my passion about it is a part of it that I think gets less um, of a light shined on it. It's a public health issue and um, a CO2-emitting issue. But it really affects pollinators um, and, and birds in your yard. So the, the blowing of any leaf blowers, gas or electric, um, is really disruptive to overwintering pollinators. So like 70% of our um, native bee species are ground nesters. Um, among those are bumblebees that we all love to see in our yards. Um, and so the mated queen bumblebee is the one that um, survives the winter. All the all the drones and everyone else um, dies when it gets cold. And she needs to be under leaf litter and she is there with the eggs and caterpillars of like luna moths and fritillaries the woolly bear caterpillar our fireflies are there ladybugs the benefit some a lot of the beneficial insects that you want to like be in your garden eating your aphids they need the leaf litter so part of this whole thing is really just sort of raising awareness about the importance of leaving the um birds need those insects in the spring to feed their babies, so there's that. So I just wanted to forget, I wanted to do a plug for the pollinators right up
2: front. Yay, yeah. we're all for pollinators. <laughs> and yeah. um, so they do they start laying their eggs in the fall, right about when people start blowing their leaves. Well, I think. Well, well, I mean, there's different different um,
4: moths and butterflies do this different in different ways, but very many of them will lay the eggs on the leaves, mm-hmm. like of some of that, what we call keystone trees, like your oak tree, is a host for, it's over 400 species of moths and butterflies. And many of them, what they do is lay their egg in the fall on a leaf, and then the leaf falls down, and the egg hatches in the spring. So it's there, kind of protected by all the leaves, and it hatches in the spring, and it's right there at its oak tree that it needs to climb up and um, eat the rest of the leaves. So really, when we when we blow all the leaves out of our yard, we are, that's why we don't, that and light pollution is why we really don't see the kind of firefly populations we used to see. Um, And fritillaries, all so many of our important and beautiful uh, pollinators overwinter. Some like the woolly bear that you see now, they'll like curl up in an old log and they're actually overwintering in their caterpillar in their larval form. So, either eggs, larval, some um some butterflies will overwinter as in their adult form. So it, it's a range but they all need they all need a little bit of a messier yard. I mean I, I say, you know, rake back off of your lawn. You don't want like heavy, wet piles of weeds killing your grass. But if you can have areas of your yard um along the edges or on your beds or under trees that you can leave, that's that's the ideal way of managing it, I think.
1: So if you rake does does the da- is the damage in with raking leaves is that commensurate with blowing leaves i mean let's oh, no
4: i mean i think if you can kind of gently rake leaves to the side um you know you you're leaving them intact a lot of times you'll then then that is safe for the overwinter i mean maybe you're going to disturb some but i'm my yard i actually just leave the leaves now because i'm kind of a i've become a a zealot <laughs> but, oh. but I, I understand people wanting to you know rake like heavy pockets of leaves off their their lawn um, so I just think moving or even if you you know even if you use an electric blower to blow some of those leaves to the edge of the yard as you know everyone right. does this their own way right but just leaving some leaves um, especially under trees is important
1: under trees
2: yeah, yeah because they go back into, into the roots, right? Yeah,
4: and because so many of the trees are host plants for the um, talking about the, the mostly the um, the moths and butterflies. So, like your your oaks that we mentioned, but cherries and willows. Those are really important trees for multiple species.
1: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned electric leaf blowers. This ordinance, I, I take it, does not restrict or ban them.
4: It does not. Yeah, mm-hmm. it gives. Um, a timeline for um, for everybody, uh, professionals and homeowners, to um, move over to electrically leaf blowers. And the reason there is, you know, we are trying to raise, edu- raise this issue of the problem with blowing at all um, through education, but the ordinance is really focused on the clean air and human health um, issues around gas leaf blowers. So the noise The noise levels are really an issue. Um, A gas leaf blower, is the sound is like 112 decibels. And, like, right now we're talking at about 60 decibels. But each 10 points increase is a doubling in noise. So anything above 85 decibels is actually damaging to, like, the little cilia in your ears. um, And that is permanent damage. So... um, you know, the the loudness, the loudness of the gas leaf blowers is really problematic and dangerous for people, especially the workers that are, um, they're using them and for children. Yeah. And then the air quality issues, the particulate matter, the ozone, the CO2 that are emitted are really also, you know, the main reason that you are seeing all this legislation. Yeah. Um, it's a climate issue, you know, that... 30% of the gas and oil that these engines use are unburned. They're just released directly into the atmosphere. So this makes them much more polluting than say our cars and other you know, gas using things that we think of. Um, in 2020, the um, fossil fuel powered lawn equipment emitted more than 30 million tons of carbon dioxide in this country. That's like equivalent to the entire city of Los Angeles. So wow. that's what led, yeah, it's huge. So that's what led California to enact a law that is going into effect this July that will ban um, uh, gas leaf blowers, Comple- two-stroke completely engines.
1: Completely, yeah, completely. ban them.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: that's, that's yeah. So that's, they're ahead of us. It's massive. But, yeah. but
4: I'm proud of Norwalk for taking this step. Um, the other, the other issue in that, for especially for us in um, Southwest Connecticut is that we already have really strangely high ozone levels. Um, last June, the EPA put out a press release um, warning that the ozone levels were so high in this area that we should not use gas-powered lawn equipment on days with low air quality. So, like, wow. it's recognized by the EPA. Mm. So it's, it's especially important, I think, for us to have taken this action. Um, and then the last thing about it are the, is the particulate matter. So this became an issue during COVID as well. Um, the leaf blowers, because they're like 200 miles an hour, they're blowing up all of this fine dust and mold and um, pesticide residue and things that you can easily breathe in. And when, when the, mat, the particulate matter is so fine, it goes right through your um, lungs straight into your, like your bloodstream. So it's a very Oof. dangerous thing. It yeah, really you can problem. never get it out. You can never get it out, yeah. So
1: that's another huge health issue um, on the gas blowers. My God. <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, I, I <laughs> I'm i one who has, you know, a, a leaf blower guy right next door to me, and he's like <clears throat> one of these guys who starts. He starts in uh, September, and he ke- keeps on going right on through. He was He was blowing... Oh, blowing now yeah, yeah right now and uh, it's almost like a sport you know or something where there like, yeah. here comes another leaf let's get it let's see if we can get it off our lawn you know and he's chasing you know like literally like six, two leaves two or three <laughs> leaves around his yard and it goes on Scary. for hours and hours and uh and I knew you know I, I knew that statistic about how uh, a leaf blower running for one hour, uh, emitted as much carbon as a uh, Toyota Camry uh, traveling uh, fifteen hundred miles yeah. uh, you know I, I had that in my head while he was out there, and I was like, should, yeah. I, should I go tell him that? I wonder if that would make yeah. a difference, yeah. you know but anyway. So, uh, um, oh, okay,
2: so let's let's bring into our conversation Lisa Shanahan. She is one of two Norwalk Town Common Council representatives for E District. She chairs the Ordinance Committee, and one of her main focuses is sustainability. And she was recently reelected to her third term. Congratulations! And <laughs> she was instrumental in getting this ordinance passed. Hi, welcome, Lisa. Well, thank you very much, everybody. It's like very nice to be here. Thank you for including me and to talk about this
5: really important issue.
1: Yeah, just to remind everybody, Steve Munno is also with us, and he can chime in uh, when he feels the uh, urge. Steve uh, Munno yes, is the uh, manager of uh, Masara Farm.
2: So, Lisa, oh, hi, how good. did how did um, well, can you give us just a little bit of an overview of how this happened? You know, was able to progress.
1: Yeah, and actually, yeah. when while doing that, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the structure of the Norwalk uh, municipal government, it which it's similar in all towns. But I, I think that the, you know, as as other listeners from different towns are listening, they may want to be able to figure out how to get in get the get this kind of legislation or ordinance you know introduced yeah. into their city governments
5: yeah because connecticut does have some different structures for government we don't have a selection process which is a lot of what um, our neighboring towns have yeah. we have mayor and common council so our mayor is pretty much the city manager and then we have a legislative body which is common council there's 15 of us we have five districts um each district sends two members of which I'm the one, one of the two for district E. And then we have five at large. And so we do have the ability as a council to bring things forward on our own initiative. And this was one of those situations. The mayor was supportive, but this ran through our ordinance committee. And it really was a byproduct of COVID. Everybody was home. They were trying to do schoolwork. They were trying to do their own work. They were just trying to live their lives. And the disruption from the leaf blowers, I think became really apparent to, uh, excuse me, to homeowners in a way that we really hadn't appreciated before because we were home so much of the time. And there were so many people calling me and my partner at that time, district partner, saying, is there nothing we can do about this horrible noise? Like, we can't hear our phone calls over it. Hmm. It's disrupting our lives. Our pets, are, we, our pets are spending half the day under the bed. We didn't even know this. So <laughs> that's Aww. how it started.
2: Oh, <laughs> <Exactly>. poor pets.
5: <laughs> I know, the poor pets. Well, I was spending half the time under the bed, too, when they came by. You just can't hear a damn thing. <laughs> so long story short we started looking into it and when we started looking into it not only is the noise bad and i did hear louise give some um information about how damaging the uh discharge from these machines are the noise is bad you definitely have hearing loss after 15 minutes all of them run all of these gas leaf blowers run higher than 86 decibels and that's where hearing loss begins after 15 minutes so we knew that that was bad But the worst part really is the discharge from the machines. As Louise said, 30 to 50 percent of the gas is not consumed. So it goes straight into the ozone or straight into the air. It has all this dust up of fine particulate matter. If people are using pesticides on their lawns, it aerosizes the pesticides. And as Louise mentioned, because children breathe at a much higher respiratory rate than adults, They're particularly vulnerable to all of these terrible fumes that come off these machines. So once we looked into it, we were um, horrified. (laughs) And then once you know this much, you have to do something. So it did take us a year. Um, As you can imagine, the landscapers are very upset and not that supportive of it. But what we tried to do was balance the health needs of our residents with the need for small business people to make changes to their capital um, equipment. So that's why we chose the five, four and five years for implementing um, a complete ban. In the meantime, what we tried to do also is use a seasonal ban, which would say that you can't use your, uh, any leaf blower on your impervious, like on your pervious properties, like grass and lawns and gardens from June until October 15th. There's no real good u- reason to use a leaf blower at that time there's no good reason to blow ga- grass clippings off because, of course, that's fertilizer and moisture for the lawns. And so we have tried to say to people, listen, if you need to use an electric leaf blower to blow off your driveway or blow off your pool deck because of droppings and things like that, have at it. But we don't want to really see this used on gardens, lawns, and things like that. Louise, is there anything else that um, that you thought was particularly um, striking about the way we we chose to organize it. I'm hoping I haven't
4: forgotten. Oh, yeah, to- I would just I would add to that that the dates are April one through June one that you can use. Um, you know, yeah. well, ultimately just electrically blowers on you know anywhere, and then October fifteenth through December fifteenth. So it does put it does put some um, parameters around you know when you can use them, and then there are also operating hours. So Monday through Friday, eight to six. Saturday 10 to 5, and then Sundays and holidays 10 to 4. So at least people know, like, if I'm going to have a cookout, you know, I can have it after 4 p.m. on Sunday and it won't be, you know, or a wedding. I've heard of weddings getting, like, um, oh, that's terrible, yeah. Interrupted yeah, we, by them.
5: We had a lot of complaints about weddings. And one of the other <laughs> things that really struck us when we were doing this work was fear for the workers and so one of the, the things i promised my council is that we're really going to try to reach out to the minority communities in our town to let the workers know just how dangerous this is because we do have also safety features that are required we want um anybody who operates a gas leaf blower to wear hearing protection and also respiratory protection because we just know how dangerous these things are and it's terrifying you see a lot of these gentlemen using these machines three you know three abroad no protection whatsoever, and they're just amplifying all of the damage to themselves. Mm. We
4: just really—it's it, very disturbing.
5: Wow. Yeah. So,
4: so that requirement starts right away, September first, twenty twenty-four. So that's wh- a great
1: thing. Which requirement? The, the noise protection and, and and respiratory protection. Are you talking about?
4: Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. The um, the OSHA approved safety equipment, and then the um, the, the, the the timeline. The April, April through June and October to, to December fifteenth start right away, right, Lisa Yes,
5: and one of the things that we were trying to do was, as I said, make sure that the workers that the landscape owners know that this is coming so they can plan into their capital budgets to purchase of these machines over time, and also to make sure that the technology is coming towards us. There's a little bit of a push and pull on whether or not the technology is um, that's available right now is sufficient to do the job of leaf blowing, especially in the fall. Um, depending upon what machine you have, it seems like the machines are pretty good. The trick really is, are the batteries um, sufficient? Right. And these um, landscapers are going to have to go about getting some kind of charging thing in their trucks and things like that. So these are all things that we thought the right thing to do is help them plan for that and give them plenty of notice that this change is coming, but the change is
2: coming. So can you, can you um, for those listening who think, oh, wow, I wanted these in my town, what would be the first step? that you recommend?
5: Well, what we did first was, and we, you know, there you can't do enough of this, is we tried to bring um, some lectures and things like that to the uh, to the city and to people who are interested in this to let them know what the dangers are. Because once you know what the dangers are, you're pretty sure you want to make some change. So Louise and I have a lecture series that we call um, Our World, Your Choice. And we did something on leave the leaves. So we did that, I think, what was that, in early October, Louise, I think, before we did this. So we were setting the ground with people who know a lot about this in our in our areas, people who are already interested. And then we had a public hearing at my ordinance committee where we invited a medical expert to talk about the damage to your lungs, a lawn expert to tell you, you know, why moving these leaves are um, bad for pollinators, et cetera. I heard Louise kind of give you all the good reasons why you really ought not to move the leaves. And then we brought in some landscapers who, are, who who had already made the change to green to say, hey, you know what, we can do the job with these types of green machines, and we're not losing money, and our clients love us, and our workers love us even more. So we tried to set the, the, the tone by creating that Then we went through several several drafts we did try to reach out to some landscapers um with some good effect and some not so good effect um you know there's real divide in the landscape community about whether or not this is something that they think is possible and then we had what i would only call a raucous (laughs) meeting public hearing on the ordinance where we invited all the um we don't usually have our meetings in person anymore because of zoom being so much easier and really we don't have the technology to do um virtual meet uh, like what do we call um where we can have virtual and in person so we had a full in-person meeting so the landscapers had a chance to share all of their thoughts in july Mm
2: -hmm. then
5: we had to do a lot of lobbying with our various common council members it wasn't a unanimous vote by any means i think the vote was uh eight to four there's a couple people who weren't there but At the end of the day, I think what won people over was that we decided that we are going to hold the council accountable by looking back at this ordinance and making sure that the technology is where it needs to be um, so that the dates of 2026 and 2027 can hold for banning gas leaf blowers um, fully.
1: You know, just an anecdote here. When I moved to Brantford from New Haven nine years ago, I think it was the first thing I encountered was. A meeting of the type that you just described—an informative meeting—I can't remember the, the woman's name. She came down. She—the the issue was that Connecticut was considering accepting fracking waste into the state, oh. and
4: yeah, I worked on
1: that project <laughs> did you too. Yeah. yeah, and so. <laughs> Yeah, so, oh my God, we're down to.
2: We only have about a minute left. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. I that just, happened quickly.
1: Yeah, oh, te- so te-
2: But how bummer. do people. Um, I know I've seen the ordinance on Norwalk uh, River, um, the watershed. We'll put the ordinance link up on our Facebook page. Great. Yeah. Thank you, guys.
1: And this is, yeah, this has been really just scratching the surface here. It's such an, an amazing thing. And the fact that you guys succeeded and. Uh, Got the thing done.
2: Thank you for leading the way.
1: Yeah, really. So, If
4: anybody wants information about how to do it in their town, they can contact us through the Norwalk River Watershed Association.
1: Norwalk River Watershed Association, and I'm sure they can find that online. Well, thank you both. It was wonderful. Thank
2: you. Thank you. you. Thanks,
1: Steve. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you soon.
0: Thank you, everyone.
1: All right, bye. Thank you, Laura.
2: Thanks, Richard.
1: This is the gaia environmental headlines from around a planet in crisis.
3: According to a shocking UN report issued last week at COP28 in Dubai, nearly $7 trillion of public and private finance each year supports activities that directly harm nature, some 30 times the amount spent on nature-based solutions annually. The report from the UN's environmental wing, UNEP, also revealed that despite decades of calls for ending financing flowing towards sectors that harm some of humanity's most valuable assets, those investments currently account for a 7% of global GDP. This year's State of Finance for Nature report is the first such survey to focus on what is known as nature negative finance flows and underscores the urgency to address the interconnected crises of climate change, biodiversity loss, and land degradation. As rising sea levels threaten to drown Pacific Island nations, regional leaders are scrambling to draw up survival plans that contend with a painful reality, how to prepare for a future where countries become increasingly uninhabitable and their people must leave. Their answer is now coming into sharper focus as some of the world's most vulnerable nations, including the Marshall Islands and Tuvalu, unveils national strategies and policies for how they plan to confront a challenge that could endanger their very Existence. For nearly a century and a half, the Earth has warmed as civilizations have burned fossil fuels, overhauled agriculture systems, and built the vast network of roads, shipping lines, and railways that underpin global transportation today. Some 90% of that heat has been absorbed by the world's oceans, driving thermal expansion of ocean waters and the sea level rise that is now encroaching on precious seaside real estate. Residents of the small Greek farming village of Metamorphosi have voted in favor of relocating their entire community after it was submerged by floodwaters in September, seeking to protect themselves from future climate change-driven disasters. Metamorphosi, which flooded in nineteen fifty three and nineteen ninety four nearly disappeared beneath the water when Storm Daniel, which brought devastation across the Mediterranean when it struck the Thessaly region last September, turning it into an island sea. Sixteen people were killed, including two who were drowned in metamorphosi. The village has resembled a ghost town ever since, and residents told Reuters in November they had no choice but to relocate to safer places. The residents said they just couldn't go through this again. The smallest of the Canary Islands, El Hierro, is the only island in the world to have functioned for 28 days in a row using only wind and water power. Declared a UNESCO World Biosphere Reserve and Geopark, the 1.1 million-year-old volcanic island is en route to becoming 100% energy self-sufficient through clean, renewable sources. Its 10,000 inhabitants and local government are equally committed to the sustainability of the island. It combines wind generation with pumped storage hydroelectric generation. This means it uses part of the energy produced by wind to pump water to a reservoir upstream so that it can then be used to move hydropowered turbines to make the most of renewable resources of electricity generation later on. More than 1,000 abandoned lobster traps have been removed from Long Island Sound in the past year, thanks to the efforts of the Maritime Aquarium at Norwalk, Save the Sound and other local organizations. They have found over 10,000 animals inside these traps so far, both alive and dead, including fish, crabs, and even a few lobsters. As found in the organic and non-GMO report, General Mills, Walmart, and Sam's Club announced a collaboration to accelerate adoption of regenerative agriculture practices that will improve soil health, water quality, carbon sequestration, and farmers' economic resilience across the shared value chain. The aim is to establish regenerative farming on 600,000 acres by 2030.
1: This was The Gaiagram. Environmental headlines from around a planet in crisis.
5: WPKN Programming is supported by Novamont, a Connecticut company, manufacturers of Matterbee, a family of completely biodegradable and compostable bioplastics, which are being used to provide low environmental impact solutions for everyday products. More information is available at materbi.com slash en.
3: This is WPKN 89.5 FM in Bridgeport and streaming online at WPKN.org.